Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast of The Fallen. I am one of your hosts, Nathan. Um, I am the Malazan veteran on this journey. I've read the series three times, and I am joined today again by my friend, Matt. Yes, I am Matt. I'm here back again, the confused Malazan addict. Um, I'll just preface this now. I am now confused, but it's all good. It's the good <laughs> kind. Let's go. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get there. It's official. Yeah. So last time Matt seemed fairly confident that he knew what was going on. And I was waiting for the ball to drop. Yeah. Ball has been dropped. All right. Um, I don't know. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. So I can just launch us into the summary of chapter four. Yeah. Yep. Now that Matt's actually read it. It's a bit awkward, but I did read it. Uh, it's fine. It left you on a good cliffhanger. I know it did. All right. Chapter four. Tattersail and four bridge burners are talking in her room. They explain that Herlock is following the trail and trying to figure out both who wants the bridge burners dead and who sorry really is. They discuss House Shadow. Fiddler gets a bad feeling, and a minute later, he says that there is a knife in the dark with blood on it. Perron finds himself before Hood's Gate, the pathway to the afterlife. Opon intercedes and negotiates with Hood's servant for his life in exchange for the life of someone close to Perron. Shadow Throne is about to come end it anyways, but doesn't because Perron convinces him that it would be better for him to know who Opon's pawn is, a.k.a. Perron. Peron's awareness fades until all he can hear is a spinning coin. He wakes up in the alley where he was killed and screams. The bridge burners bring Peron's body into the uh, Malazan headquarters, using their reputation to get past the guards. Tattersail performs another reading of the Deck of Dragons with a link of confrontation between the Hound of Shadow and Knight of Darkness. The Mason of Death is reaching out towards her. Whiskey Jack and Fiddler speak on the roof about Tattersail's abilities their history as Masons and Fiddler's feeling that something is going down tonight. Dujek appears, questions them about Peron, and says that if they survive their mission to Jerujistan, he has they have their they have his permission to walk away from the army. Whiskey Jack thinks that if anything goes down, he wants to be near Dujek as they have a long history together. Quick Ben tracks Hairlock through the Warrens. Peron is healing in Tattersail's room, but will have trauma when he wakes up because of the forced healing. The Maranth arrive on the roof to take Whiskey Jack's squad to their new mission. Whiskey Jack remembers a time shortly after Sari joined them that she interrogated mercenaries and seemed to take pleasure in torturing them. Kalam ended up killing them and they blessed him as they died. A Hound of Shadow appears in Pale looking for Hairlock and slaughters indiscriminately. It attacks Tattersail who withstands it. Hairlock attacks the Hound and Tattersail warns it that he is reaching for its soul. Peron walks into the room and stabs the Hound with his sword, saying that he was lucky. Tattersail kicks Hairlock away from the Hound and it escapes. Tattersail hears a spinning coin as she fades away into unconsciousness. Dun, dun, dun. So that's a hefty chapter. Um, I'm going to be honest. It's been over a week since I've read this. Same. So I don't remember um, a ton of the particulars. But first we have the scene where Tattersail and the bridge burners are talking in her room. And um, they're talking about what their purpose with Herlock is. And he's trying to find out who wants the bridge burners dead. And 
who Sari is and what her deal is. Um, I don't know that I have a ton of thoughts on this scene. What about you? Um, give me honest. I think I don't either because we waited so long. I'm trying to remember because I did. I remember the whole interaction of like they're sitting there and they're just always spooked out about Sari. Is what mm-hmm. I remember. Oh, geez, where'd that page go? Yeah, I just remember a lot of being scared of Sari. Um. Oh yeah, because they're in the maze. Because isn't he trying to get um, Hairlock out of the Shadow Realm? Because Hairlock is like running around in it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a isn't bit that later. Scene? Yeah. Let's see. And I rem- okay, I remember that. So the scene, the first scene in the chapter is Quick Ben, Fiddler, Kalam, and Whiskey Jack are sitting around a table with Tattersail, mm-hmm. um, talking about their plan. They mentioned that they're heading to Darujistan, um, and they're trying to avoid Tashran finding out at all costs because Tashran is really, really powerful. Bad news. Yep. And they think he might be in on wanting them dead. He's Voldemort. I mean, he's bald. <laughs> yeah. He has a nose, right? He does have a nose. Okay. He's like his twin brother then. Voldemort's twin brother, a high mage of the Malazan army. Yep. Sounds about right. I mean, his name starts with T, Tom Riddle. Ah, it's all connected. Connection. So they're like a huge fantasy universe then that's all interconnected. It's a conspiracy amongst all fantasy authors. Exactly. There's Tom Bombadil yeah. in Lord of the Rings. There's Tom in Wheel of Time. I don't know if you've met him yet in your... I don't think I've met him yet, no. Wait. Crawl through the first book. Yeah, I don't remember. There's so many names. All the Toms just coming together. All the Toms and all the Sams can hang out. Yep. Um, Hoyt's secretly a Tom. <laughs> Hoyt, Hoyt from the Stormlight Archive. I think Hoyt is whoever Hoyt wants to be. This is true. Um, but yeah, no, because isn't this where like he's trying to, he's like sneaking up on the, the Night Kingdom or something and he gets caught and is being chased by the Hound? Um, that is a bit later. I think that's after that the later? whole. That's after the whole trippy scene with Perron at Death's mm, Gate. That's right. Uh, this is where they're talking. Let's see. They mentioned that Sari really likes killing. I think the main thing in this scene is at the very end. Mm-hmm. Fiddler gets a bad feeling and says that there's a knife in the dark with blood on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, like, disappear because they're worried about Perron. Yeah, and all uh, of a sudden, yeah. all four of them within seconds, like, get up from the table and just leave Tattersail alone in the room. Because Quick Ben is like... Because Tattersail's like, Quick Ben, where do you get all this power? And he's just like, see ya. Yes. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, wait, wait. That's not well, how it works. She says, I should know you. There's not enough true masters in this world for me not to know you. Who are you? And then he just like shrugs. I don't know. You tell like, me. Eh, you don't need to know. Well, it, like this whole bridge burners group, it's kind of crazy because it's like you got sorry, the secret 
person of shadow people. You got Quick mm-hmm. Ben, the mysterious master of magic, and then you got the X Claw member, and then you have the legendary Whiskey Jack. It's like seems a little suspicious here. They have so many characters like that. So many badasses, like the best of the best. Yeah, exactly. Fun that you already picked up on that. It took me a while to realize that. We'll learn more. Um, but next, I think on to probably, I'm assuming, maybe one of the scenes that got you confused. Maybe. Is uh, Peron wakes up in this weird realm and yep. he looks to the side and there's... was it? The twins? The twins of chance? So well, they're, they're not. Yeah, the twins of chance are there, um, and he's in front of the gate to the underworld, basically. See, and then I think this is where I was a little confused because is it Hood himself that's there, or is it a servant? No, it's one of his servants. Okay, that's why that's why I figured. But I was like, what? But the twins of chance seem to be appearing quite frequently through our list. Mm-hmm. Like they popped in with Tattersail, now they're with Peron. I think they show up a little later in the next book section. But yeah. Um so Opon, the twins of chance show up. Um just to confirm for you, Peron was straight up killed. He died. Yeah. Okay. Um Them, yeah. Because he had a, what, two knife stabs. They analyzed it. They're like, this was one a good the, knife stab. One to the heart, one to one of his lungs, I think, yeah. And they're like, the second one was a little sloppy, but the first one was good. Yeah, their healer's like, man, this person knew what they were doing. Yeah. So he was he was completely dead. Uh-huh. But he, and... So he's at the gate. And the twins pop up. They're like, no, no, no you're not going to die. We, we bartered for you. Yep. One of Hood's servants shows up, and the reason Peron hasn't died is because Opon intervened. Gotcha. So is Opon a single person then? Or is it... I think that's where I'm a little confused. Um, it is two people, the Lord and the Lady, but it's one God, if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, that's going to take some getting used to. Is it like split personalities or is it like truly no, it's, two it's people? like two separate Peronsi's two separate beings standing there. Okay. Interesting. Um, let's see. Yeah, and then they Opon is like, hey, we're gonna save your life. Um just one of your loved ones or someone close to you has to die, okay? Is that all right? He's like, what? And he says, no, take me instead. And Opon's kind of like, shut up. And then they hear the hound coming. That's, uh, yeah. Like one of the hounds of shadow. Mm-hmm. Because then uh, two of the hounds show up and Shadowthorn shows up between them. Which is the An- Animus? Animaris? Yeah. Amanus. I'm honest. Oh, I'm just thinking, like, man, I should have taken some notes on this because I'm like, I don't. Yeah, I think I'm gonna start. <laughs> I think I'm gonna start taking some notes as well. But yeah, 
I don't know. I think we can move on then. I, I don't have too many more thoughts unless you have anything to share. Oh, yeah. Um, so Shadowthorn shows up and I, I'm assuming that he sensed Opon's intervention or something like that because, I mean, one of Shadowthorn's servants did kill Peron. Um, and so Peron is just a real... <laughs> Peron just hates authority of any kind, even if it's a god. He'll talk back to a god. And Shadow Throne asks him, like, who intervened? Who opposes me? And Peron's like, shut up. Go find your own answers. I'm not telling you. You killed me. Yeah, I'm not... Well, I don't know that he knows that... Oh, yeah, that's true. He was killed by... But he he kind of convinces Shadow Throne to let him live. Like, wouldn't it be... You know that like I'm being controlled by a god, so wouldn't it be better to keep alive and keep an eye on me? Because otherwise, they're just going to pick someone else. Mm-hmm. That you wouldn't know. Yeah, and then uh, the world darkens, and Peron hears a spinning coin, and then he wakes up in his dead body and just screams. Alive. Yeah. Um, resurrection in this series is not cheap doesn't sound like it so he like his body now has to heal then from those wounds is what they talked about yes his body like has it. to heal okay that's so weird to think about so i feel like usually resurrection in other series they're kind of just revived and they're fine more or less but i guess i mean this one makes more sense like you have to recover from those wounds well so we'll get into it um the bridge burners take his body into headquarters and Clum just kind of walks up and says hey i'm a bridge burner you guys saw nothing right and they're like yep we saw nothing yep we didn't see anything um yep. tattersail has another reading of the deck of dragons she just loves those things she does i mean if you had if i had a set of tarot cards that actually told the future i think i'd use them yeah, I, I don't know. I, they're just so weird to me because they're like they make sense, but they don't make sense. They still. are so weird. There's some, there's some in the series that even now I don't fully get. Um, I know what this one means, but I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Uh, but she sees a confrontation between shadow and darkness happening soon. Um, the Mason of Death is reaching out to her. And since you brought it up, we can just go into it. So with, sorry, I'm jumping back and forth a lot here. It's fine. It's fine. Um, but since you brought it up, Peron, I think what Mallet, the bridge burner healer, brings up is that Peron's wounds were healed, but only the physical stuff was healed, and it was done super like rushed and super powerfully. And normally with healing, you have to take it at like magical healing involves healing the mental trauma and stuff and so his body's healed but his brain wasn't healed of what it went through and so that's what he has to recover from so his his mind like his physical mind still thinks it's dead or something yeah something like that i think yeah that's really weird this is there's many what we call gardens of the moonisms and I think this is one of them. So I think this kind of 
healing thing still applies later in the series, but it's not brought up explicitly like this again. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, when you write a book 10 years before <laughs> the rest of the series. Come on. You didn't keep good enough notes. One job. One oh, job. He, kept, he kept great notes. Either that or he has like a master memory because some of the stuff he brings back, I'm like, how did you remember that? Know. From like These five authors, books ago. These authors blow my mind. Right, 10 book massive series. So interconnected. And you're like, Hold on. You still got fans rereading and rereading, finding new stuff. And you're like And with characters level. characters having tiny arcs that lead into their larger series, long arc that lead into the whole overarching theme of the series. Yep. Pretty impressive. Um, and then we have Whiskey Jack and Fiddler standing on the roof, um, waiting for their Moranth escort to take them to their next mission in Durujistan. And they start talking about Tattersail and it it's revealed that Tattersail is really freaking powerful too and that she's turned down the title of High Mage multiple times. This doesn't feel very confident though when you get her point of view. She she's feels, not. So that, I mean, that makes sense because they're like, she's powerful. She just lacks that confidence in her abilities. Well, Whiskey Jack says like it be a close thing it'd be closer than you would think if it came to a like magical fight between her and Tatrin and Fiddler's like really her yeah so her personality puts a lot of people off I um, mean she she did survive his attack which is like kind of kind of wild which is I still don't get how he did that but uh. yep we will get a little more into that later all right sorry we're only 100, 200 pages. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Fiddler tells Whiskey Jack that something is going to be unleashed tonight, Sergeant. It's going to be messy. And given what you know about the rest of the chapter. Yeah. And then Dujik shows up and is like, uh, Peron's missing. Did you guys kill him? Uh, no, sir. We did not. Well, he says, Whiskey Jack asks for word of Captain Peron, and Dujik says, he's disappeared. So is Kalam. Hmm. Hmm. Did he offend Kalam? Is it because then it's just like, is this where like Hyphus comes up and he's just like, they're just chatting and he's like, you guys can leave and now because this is a scene where he's like, no, I'll stick around. I want to see what happens because like Whiskey Jack was actually in charge of one arm at one point. Yeah. Uh, if you go back to the prologue, um, shortly after Lacine shows up on the like parapet mm -hmm. uh, Whiskey Jack tells uh, the soldier next to him which is Fiddler to go tell Dujek and a company to go down to quell the riots Fiddler just sounds like he's just like a scrawny kind of like doesn't know a lot kind of guy it's a weak name <laughs> is that weird to say I mean, <laughs> I mean he's already sensed Peron getting killed and then he sensed that something bad was going to happen that night uh, and then the hound shows up I mean like it all makes sense but at the same time like it's one of those things where I keep seeing these names I'm like that's a funny name and then other names I'm like you just it like doesn't make the character sound as strong but I mean I guess that makes sense like it plays into it mm -hmm. uh, Fiddler is kind of a skinny white guy with red hair 
but he was the one so going back a little bit he was the one that was pacing around initially and tattersall just kept staring at him like what's going on and then eventually he's like someone died <laughs> yep and they're like all right see ya and the rest of the squad doesn't even question it whiskey just just like all right let's go yep so i mean he has credibility mm-hmm. but yeah now i was just thinking of that scene like i just imagine like whiskey jack like this just this stoic like dark expression guy standing there like arms behind his back staring out into the to the darkness or whatever and fiddler staying next to him like wringing his hands like is this the right idea like should we be doing this i don't know it's kind of how i picture it okay i do have something to support your thing about fiddler because while fiddler and whiskey jack are talking before Dujek shows up he takes off his sword belt and is like man that's uncomfortable and just tosses it on the ground oh yeah, yeah, yeah shows up and damn it fiddler is that your sword lying over there in a puddle <laughs> and fiddler hurries over to grab it and dude says he's a hopeless legend he'll go down in history but he'll be the one like that people actually know and they're like yeah i don't know how that <laughs> happened <laughs> he was great but he was an idiot <laughs> Exactly. I like him even more already. Barely know the guy. There you go. Um, and then we have then we have the scene where Quick Ben is like tracking Hairlock through the Warrens. So is, so is there like a like another realm within like is there like a spiritual metaphysical realm then within this world? Is that what the Warrens are? Sort I mean, of. Because, I mean, that's how I'm imagining it. Like, you go, if you have access, you can go into this metaphysical realm or, like, this other dimension where there's the gods and more things. You can kind of travel quicker. Yeah. I mean, what I want to say here. I mean, this could be a read and find out. But, I mean, that's just, like, my guess and how I'm, like, picturing it right now. But... I would say that is a good place to start out. Yeah. I would say that it's not, I mean, there are some that would fit the category that you're talking about, but I would say that more of them are more like other dimensions. But each Warren is different that I've gathered. Yes. Yeah. 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 And Warrens are complicated and you will read the series three times like I have and not not get them. Understand them sometimes, but that's okay. Yeah. Are Warrens in other books? Because this sounds like a like something that may be in other ones. Not that I know of. Yeah, I don't know. Not that I know of. Um, I do know you can think of like rabbit warrens where rabbits uh, dig yeah. underground and like tunnels between chambers and things like that. That actually is like that makes a lot more sense. That's kind of because like like we get this scene with um Hairlock running around through the mm-hmm. warren to the shadow which would be kind of like the the, the hole the hobbit hole <laughs> <laughs> the kingdom yeah and uh the hounds are chasing him right yeah and he starts shifting warrens to try and lose their trail Escape. yeah but then the the hounds are sentient like servants of shadow as well like they're not just dumb dogs like they're very intelligent yeah because i mean i figured when they can take out an entire whatever that was army of guys without 
leaving any real evidence besides natural weapons. Uh huh. Because <laughs> then, yeah. Yeah, and that's the scene where Malik comes in and explains that he'd do more if he could, but trying to heal Peron's trauma, he says, how many traumatic events and things has Peron had in his life and which one should I heal? Like, it would yeah. be impossible to tell. Yeah, no, that that was an interesting magic healing. I've never thought that was very unique. Very cool, though. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, the uh, Maranth arrive on the roof to get Whiskey Jack's squad and take them to their drop-off point. Big dragonflies. Yep, giant dragonflies with like 12-foot-long tails. I think that'd be pretty cool. Reminds me of like the, the Yanmega from like Pokemon. I don't know if you were ever into that or remember that. I think I know which one you're talking about, but I haven't followed pokemon since see i watched the Sinnoh region show I as think, a kid i think it was the Sinnoh region that one was from or i could be wrong yeah i stopped following it after that and now it's like 12 years later and ash is somehow still 10 hey we don't talk about that all right no nothing makes sense in the world of anime they no, ended it though the anime is right. over like I thought they rebooted it though with the new character. Well, they probably did. I mean, why would they ever stop Pokemon? It's like the highest grossing franchise ever. Uh, they just make so much money. Anyways, we digress. <laughs> yeah, we digress. We'll leave that in because <laughs> I'm sure you don't want to hear us talking kind of monotone voices about Malazan the whole time. Uh, Pokemon fans out there, unite. Yeah, Mega is the Morant's uh, riding people or riding creatures. Might be a bit smaller, right. but yeah, yeah. Th- these are the fully evolved forms. The full, but Pokemon <laughs> are way bigger than you'd think they are. Oh yeah, like you, I've looked up the sizes of some of them before, and Snorlax is like fourteen feet tall and weighs eight hundred pounds, and you're like, what the heck? Seems a lot smaller. The way they describe them. Well, it's because they have Ash, who's like a five-foot kid standing next to it, and he's like half its height. Yeah. So, um, and then we get uh, a real fun scene where Whiskey Jack remembers shortly after Sari joined the squad that they captured some mercenaries, and she started torturing them in the crotch area. And it was so brutal that Whiskey Jack sent Kalam to end it, and the mercenaries like thanked him as they died. Yeah, kind of a very gruesome, depressing scene. So that if if that doesn't show you why Quickman and everyone is so terrified of her, I mean, uh, I don't know what will. When you had a mysterious little girl showing up doing that, yeah, I'd be a little terrified. A mysterious little girl who's kind of cold and acts older than she is. Yep, you're like, how are so possessed of what? Let's let's figure this out. Well, Quick Ben says, I never believed in pure evil till Sari showed up. Yep. And he's the mystery wizard over here. I feel like would know what some dark things are. Uh, and then we get, yeah, we get the point of view of the hound as it enters the city of Pale oh, yeah. chasing Hairlock. This is a cool scene. 
I mean, yeah. poor guards, but <laughs> poor guards and poor dozens of other soldiers and people that it killed exactly. on its way. Freaking hairlock. The Marines is their finally their shift was over. They're like, guys, you didn't see anything. <laughs> We're going to bed. <laughs> yeah, I love the. Oh, I guess it's before where they have the banter between the two guards, but yeah. Um. Yeah. Look at that dog. And then they don't hear him. Look at the dog. And then they turn around and they're dead. Yep. Rest in peace, guards. Yeah. Um. When powers in this world come to play, small people don't. Don't fare make well. it through. I'm about to say it reminds um, me of a scene in Mistborn, but I don't know. It's probably too spoilery. Uh, if you can describe it without spoilers. It was in the seventh book. Do you remember? Oh. In the the tower. Oh yeah. When he's having the dilemma. It kind of reminds me oh. of that. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. I I love how cocky Hairlock is. Like he comes into Tattersail's room and is like, Well, I got away. <laughs> So like I did it, got away from the hound. I'm gonna I told hide you I trunk. could do it. I'm gonna hide here. Don't I was never here. <laughs> and then immediately after he's like so cocky, they hear the hound just start killing people, and he's like, "I'm gonna hide. <laughs> I'm going in my box. Fight it off." And Tattersall's like, "Fight it off? What, the, what do you mean? What am I supposed to do against the hound of shadow?" Yeah, I don't. I don't know what you do. Kidding me? I mean, she didn't do much. Doesn't sound like it. She threw up some defenses and it just broke through them and sent her against the wall. Yeah, I don't know. What did you think of this scene? Peron coming in with his sword. This is like the this is like this seems like the first time Peron's ever used his sword by the sound of it. By the way they describe him. I feel like this was just Peron like finally getting to do the thing he's been trained or wanting to do. Mm-hmm. But I thought I thought that was really cool. I thought it was weird though that like the hound is like literally dying or whatever, and Tattersail like tries to free it. I'm like, I don't know. Let me confused. Yeah. Um. Gosh, I'm trying because a couple weeks ago there was a post on the subreddit of someone confused. Like, why is Tattersail defending? defending the hound and i think the answer is that first off the hound's not really her enemy like she has no personal yeah anger towards it or anything and hairlock reaching for its soul with chaos sounds kind of worse than death yeah no i i I think that i mean I just thought it was more like she maybe didn't want to anger Shadow or anything or like get involved more involved into that. And as well, it's like maybe she knows Hairlock's just super crazy. And so like she didn't want anything worse to happen. That would make him even more crazy. But so, you know, it was just kind of strange because Bron just comes in saving the day and she's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> let's not. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I think also is if something happened, I think the reason she was trying to defend it is that if something happens to a hound, who knows what Shadowthorn's reaction is going to be. 
Oh, I know. Yeah, Shadow Tone's a powerful dude, from what I've gathered. Yeah, and then after that whole thing, Herlock says, I'm going back into my box. Station's going to be here. Don't say anything. You don't, what? You want me to say? I know. Herlock's wild. So Herlock weird. is insane. He reminds me, this is a total, like, another weird tangent, but, like, I read Herlock and I think of Haymitch from Hunger Games a little bit, where he's just kind of crazy enough that you're like, is everything going right there? You know? Yeah. But, know. Hey, Haymitch from the first Booker movie, at least. Because yeah. Haymitch sobers up and gets a lot better. But yeah, in the first book, he's kind of this murderous, rageful drunk. Yep. Reminds me of that a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Bit weird, but... Um, and then Tadisale, as she falls into unconsciousness, here's a spinning coin. That spinning coin every time. Yep. And we see he's more. Popping up. I don't know. We see more later on. Hmm. Book Darugistan. 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 Um, Happens multiple times in there. Unless you have any more thoughts or questions. I think we're good. Chapter five. Chapter five, six, seven. That's where I really got confused. Awesome. How recently did you read these? Right over the weekend, so not too long. Okay. Like I remember enough, but it's like confusing enough that at the same time I'm like, okay, maybe my summaries will answer some of your questions. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Let's hear them. Chapter five summary is short. Uh, chapter five, Krupp walks in a dream out of Darugistan and to an inn on a hilltop. He complains about the climb and confronts aspects of himself. They speak about the coin falling tonight. As Krupp leaves, he sees his own humility hanging from a tree. We get a description of Darugistan. It is lit by blue flames drawn from gas chambers far below the city. We switch between Crocus Younghand, a young thief sneaking into the Darl estate, and Tallow, an assassin who was attacked on the rooftops and climbs Kroll's Belfry to get a better view. Crocus steals the Darl Maiden's jewelry, and as he sneaks across the roof, Talo mistakes him for an assassin and opens fire with his crossbow. Crocus avoids the bolt by bending down to pick up a coin that suddenly clatters onto the rooftop at that exact instant. A mysterious figure kills Talo and Crocus runs for his life, eventually finding his way to the Phoenix Inn. The mysterious assassins on a rooftop across the street remark that an ascendant intervened, with one of them saying that it's been years since they've killed an ascendant. So, Rip talks to himself a lot, I noticed. Isn't he the one that's yes, like third he, person? He talks in the third person like Elmo, yes. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I was like... I, From your reaction, I can see that you might be a little less than enthusiastic. I fell in love with Krupp immediately. I mean, I've never like been a huge fan of characters like this. Like, I get their place, but like, I don't know. Like, they're fine. <laughs> Not, I mean, maybe I like him more as it goes on. I think it's just because, like, how confused I was, but still. I will say, um, this first book is where Krupp is the worst Krupp ever gets. Mm -hmm. But yeah, what did you think of this whole dream sequence? Uh, him walking down the road out of Jerudistan, just kind of talking to himself. I don't know. I thought, like, 
this one was like just so like like out of left field that like it made me a little bit like what is just going on with this guy and the third person threw me off a little bit Yeah. because like i knew it was a dream so i was like this is interesting that we got this dream because he's like just wandering around but like you can tell he's seeing like i feel like it's foreshadowing a lot of things that like i don't know that will eventually connect but Yeah. Um just a line that I have to bring up because it made me laugh this time. So Krupp is Like, I think right at the beginning, he's described as a very short, very fat man. Yeah. Um, and then, <laughs> of course, in Inn, far has the journey been clear the need for a place of rest and relaxation for the weary traveler. Such as Krupp was an adventurer with more than a few leagues under his belt, not to mention spanning it. So he, <laughs> he knows exactly how fat he is. Yep. He knows he's a plump man. Yep. He, uh, He goes into the inn, complaining about it being on top of a hill, um, and talks to aspects of himself, and just he pulls like a whole meal out of his sleeves. The aspects there's like because that's the thing I did notice. I thought because there's doubt, anxiety, or like anxiety or different things like that. Because that mm -hmm. all has like the capitalized stuff. So I just assumed he was talking to like different versions of these emotions or like feelings. But Yep. I take it. But they talked about ascendant, and um, is he he's not an ascendant, right? No, so that ascendant part is later. I don't think Krupp mentions ascendants in his dream. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so they talk about the coin spinning. Um, As always. and Krupp hears it, and uh, the coin shall fall. Uh, shall fall this very night. Yeah, I don't have much else to say on this scene other than I love, well, love and I'm kind of, I don't know what to think about it, but he walks out of the inn and the thing in the sack that he saw swinging from the tree earlier is his humility. Oh yeah, because it in the in the like index of characters it says he's a man of false modesty. <laughs> So, yeah, Eric Erickson will put kind of funny things like that. in the dramatis personae sometimes. Uh, so then for the rest of the chapter, this chapter is pretty short. Um, Mm hmm. but I guess we can go one of these characters at a time. Uh, we switch between Crocus sneaking into an estate and stealing a young woman's jewelry and Taylor, who was shot by a crossbow bolt and climbs a tower to get a view. This Taylor was an assassin, right? Yeah. He's a member of the Assassin's Guild. Yep, the Durgistan Yep. has an assassin's guild, which nobles and merchants use to take out contracts on people they want dead. Which I find is so weird. It's like, uh, yes, I need an assassin. Assassins Yeah, for I hire. mean... It's like just so public, like, you know. But, yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. What did you think of Crocus? This Crocus. first look at him. He had the tar on his toes, right? Yeah. He's that guy. Yeah, because I thought, I don't know, I thought he was like fun because he's like 
just stealing, like, you know, from standard standard issue thief. Yeah. So I thought it was an interesting just take because he just like steals everything, then just like casually makes his way back to the inn. Just go like the evening drink or whatever. If I'm remembering that right. Yeah. I mean, his journey to the inn is not so casual. Oh, yeah. Because he's about, yeah, he almost gets shot. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Um, but still, like, he's out there. And then um, I think I think he's a fun character. Yeah. He may- he takes an extra look at the girl in the bed as he leaves. <laughs> and uh, he's like, not tonight. <laughs> Yep, and as he's he's as he's breaking in, he takes out one of the tools, and he's like, "Man, I sure I'm lucky to have an uncle that has these tools and forgets where he puts them." Uh, yeah. So then, after we get him breaking into the Darl estate, um, Taylor got shot, and he climbs Kroll's Belfry, which is it used to be like a temple dedicated to the god Kroll, who no longer really has much power. He's the eldest god? Yeah, he's an elder god. Yeah. And he climbs up, and then right as Crocus leaves, Talo sees Crocus and thinks that he's an assassin, so he opens fire, and there just so happens to be a coin that drops. Right at the very right moment. By fate would have it, or fate would have it. As fate or chance would have it. Yep. That's the line. Um, and Crocus kind of whirls around. And there's another dark figure on the tower. And Palo's body just kind of falls on to the roof below. Yeah. Let's see. What did you think of these mysterious assassins that are after Crocus? Um, I felt like they're a claw. I'm not wrong. I felt like they were like an outside party is what they were referenced as. But yeah, it's not confirmed what they are or who they are. Yeah. Uh, but they're sorcerers because Crocus sees one descending in slow motion down from the tower. Yeah, because but... then, oh, this is the part where they reference the ascendant. Yeah, because they, that's why I was thinking, because I'm like, these guys, they're like older. They've been around the block a few times. Because they're referencing like the Ascendant and like Kildon. So I assume they're like an ancient, at this point, like an ancient order of assassins or killers or something. Or We uh, will see. We'll see. But yeah, Crocus does run into the bar and grab a drink. And someone asks him, hey, how's, how's your night been? And he's like, fine. Doesn't happen. Nothing suspicious. Yeah, and then the assassins are just like, man, an ascendant intervened. <laughs> Shame. It's been years since I've killed one. I think it's interesting that they can kill an ascendant. Oh, yeah. Ascendants and gods can die in this world. Which I find is, I don't know, I think that in concept of like immortal but mortal deities to a sense mm-hmm. is always interesting. Yep, I will say no more specifics on the gods. Um, this chapter is really short, so I think we can yeah. move we, on. We move on. Sorry, I realize I'm talking a lot, and I'm not asking your thoughts very much. And we're just kind of summarizing. So if you ever want to, I mean, go deeper on something or 
like I said, this part is where like I kind of got pretty confused. Where like I was like, okay, this I'm following like the basic. This is what the characters are doing, but like I don't know. There's not like too much of like outside. Oh, this happened, you know. Yeah, it's different from a lot of series. It gives you the what, but not always the why, the why or the how. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's fine. Like, I've been, like, cruising through this, and I'm like, well, I want to keep finding out what's going on, hoping for some answers. But we'll read and find yeah. out. Yes, we will, over the course of however long it takes us. Yep. All right. Chapter 6. We are introduced to Crone, a great raven, and Circlebreaker, a spy and guard of Despot's Barbican. Baruch the alchemist receives a note from Circle Breaker telling him of Turban Orr's meeting with another councilman. The spy, Circle Breaker, works for the eel, a mysterious person in the city. Crone shows up at Baruch's estate asking if her master can come visit with him. He agrees just as Turban Orr asks to see him. Uh, Turban Orr meets with Baruch to discuss the council's vote on a declaration of neutrality towards the Malazan Empire at the same time that Relic Nam prepares to assassinate the Lady Simtal. There is a burst of power in the city that Crone and Baruch both sense, and Ralak Nam hears a spinning coin that gives him a new plan to take down Simtal. He shifts his crossbow and shoots Councilman Lim, a married man, to discredit her. Crone and Turban Orr leave Baruch's estate, and Animander Rake appears after a wave of pressure and power. He is Tystan D, seven feet tall with jet black skin, silver hair, and a six and a half foot sword that bleeds black power on his back. Rake wants an alliance with Druidistan's wizards. It is revealed that Rake killed the claw members that the Malazan Empire sent into Pale almost as soon as they entered the city, but the wizards of Pale fled the battle. That's why the Malazans were able to do so much damage. As Moonspawn drifted south, Rake hunted down Pale's wizards and killed them all. He wants the two that escaped. When it is confirmed that he would kill them with his sword, Baruch says he'll give Rake their heads instead. Crocus, Marilio, Cole, and Krupp sit around a table at the Phoenix Inn playing cards. Krupp is talking at length about nothing, causing Marilio and Crocus to both forfeit. Crocus reflects that it's an odd group of friends that he has. Marilio leaves to change, and they are brought breakfast. All right, so first we're introduced to Crone. What did you think of Crone? Um, not gonna lie, it reminded me of the Game of Thrones crows. <laughs> oh, she's. I th- I think they have I think Great Ravens have like fifteen foot wingspans. Yeah, no, no, a lot different, but still. Yeah. Um, no, because she she came in. She has like that like, what I don't want to say arrogance, but like she knows what's going on or something. Because she ignores yeah. like the younger ones. Like, I don't got time for this. I'm mm-hmm. better than you. Yeah. She's very sarcastic too. Yep. And like, what other fantasy series in chapter six is going to introduce you to a sarcastic talking bird <laughs> that's intelligent? Yeah. And because she's talking to the alchemist, right? Like, yes. this is the alchemist scene. Yeah. Because he's he's like a powerful guy in the city. Yes. Yeah. Yep. But he is not the one that wants the city to fall. No, he wants Durgisand to stay away from the Malazans. Yep, yep. And he 
then talks to crone a bit about what happened with pale and like the events there a bit right. uh that's more with anamander rake when he shows yeah. up later it's more with rake but still with crone he like kind of gets some updates on what's going on because she's she's a messenger for rake right yeah um, and while Kron is there, Turban Orr shows up to meet Baruch and try to convince him to push for neutrality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love that Kron is just hiding herself as a dog. <laughs> oh, I know. He's like, weird dog. Hi, dog. Well, she says something and Orr kind of looks down at her and Baruch's like, oh, she just has a bad leg. No worries. Because Baruch, he's um, is he the husband? Which one's Baruch again? No, Baruch is the alchemist. Oh, he's the alchemist. Oh, duh. Yeah, I just Tor is the other dude. Yeah, Turbinor. I mean, Tor. It's a lot of names getting thrown at you real fast, so don't worry about it. I know. Um. And yeah, we geez. also meet Circle Breaker, the anonymous spy for the eel. Which is... Uh, someone. Someone maybe connected to the two mystery wizards that were looking at Crocus. Maybe. Maybe. I feel like that that's fitting. Magical eel clan. <laughs> Slippery slidey in the dark. That's a good yeah. theory. I'll give you that. I'm not going to confirm or deny it. I can either confirm or deny the presence of eel at the ending of chapter five. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we don't get much on Circle Breaker, but Baruch, the alchemist, receives a message from him telling him about Turbinor's meeting. Yeah, because Or he's the he's the power he's a powerful councilman, right? Yeah, Or is on the city council. He's super powerful, noble guy. Does he have like the wife that we meet a little later? Is that her? Uh, with Marilio, yes. Okay, yeah, she's like has the affairs with everyone. No, <laughs> that is Lady Simtal. Oh, has the Simtal. With everyone. Okay, yeah. Which we can talk about right now because Ralic, at the same time that Baruch is reading meeting with Turban Or, Ralic is getting ready to assassinate Simtal because of something that she did in the past. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. And then he he hears the spinning of a coin in his brain, and suddenly he has this master plan just formed in his brain. And he's like, I'm not going to kill her. I'm going to kill her married lover that's on the balcony next to her. It's like it's like one of those scenes in those movies where it's like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make you suffer the rest of your life like you did to me type of thing. It's the Joker at the end of the Suicide Squad trailer. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just... <laughs> Or I'm not gonna kill you. I'm just gonna hurt you really, really bad. Yep. Is that that's yeah, a spinning coin every time. I want an oh, answer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, spinning coin, baby. Yeah. Well, I I think these assassins are kind of cool though. Like they have all these. Oh yeah. Like they're it's like a full crossbow dog because I keep thinking like this wrist crossbow like that he's like aiming down. I don't know. No, I think because. Talos bolts were small enough to be strapped to like his calf. Yeah. In like his boot or something. But then the bolt that he got shot with like went through his entire shoulder. So I had to be a little bigger. 
but that was the eel group or not the eel group but the, that was the, the mysterious assassin the mysterious assassin that yeah. we don't know anything about yeah um and then we get Anamander Rake showing up what did you think Finally. of Anamander Rake oh i thought he was so cool i was like i would like reread his description cuz i'm like wait he's like just this like ominous cuz he's like he they're all black right like i'm not wrong like they're just like this giant guy that's like jet black and everything. Yeah, so he's seven feet tall with jet black skin and like a mane of silver hair. That's yeah. like shoulder length. I thought that was so cool. I was like, what a neat, neat race description. I'm like, mm-hmm. that is so cool. And he's got a six and a half foot sword strapped diagonally across his back that like bleeds power. I know. Remind me of the a specific sword from another series, but <laughs> not quite. I think you'll not quite. We'll learn more about this sword. It because it's an it, it's like specifically referenced in the glossary, isn't it? Or like somewhere. Am um, I wrong? Like as an artifact of something. Is it? I'm not sure. Because I remember reading something in here. Maybe people world. Um. Oh. Dragnapur, a sword used by Anamander Rake. Yeah, Dragnapur. It's a fun name. Yeah, so we uh, we kind of find out from this conversation with Baruch that Rake was not really in any danger ever. Like, so the Malazans sent the Claw members in to kill Pale's wizards. Yep. And Rake says that he killed them before they got a dozen steps into the city. And then the wizards left anyways. And he like devastates the army with magic and sends Moonspawn floating away south while he just goes to hunt down the wizards that betrayed him. Exactly. He's just so cool. He's just he like, is. I knew everything was gonna happen. But I'm just well, gonna just gonna do everything myself. Well, he didn't know what he didn't know that they'd betray him. That's why he's so yeah. pissed. That's true. But he, he's a king or a ruler of sorts. Yes. Of like um, the, it's like the House of Moon or. Uh, so Moon Spawn is the giant mountain fortress. Oh. Um, and it's revealed that there's a city there, with other, okay. Tai that live there. So he um, sent it away, to keep them safe. Yeah. Let him get the city of Pale. That was like but, kind of where it's held. Yeah. So to add some more complications, when he reveals that there's a city, it's mainly like children and old people because all of his warriors are off fighting in the north of the continent with Khaled and Brood, yeah. who's referenced a couple times. Which are are they the mercenaries? They're not the mercenaries, are they? Yes, Khaled and Brood has a bunch of mercenaries that are fighting with him. Yeah. But I think what you may be referring to, he's referred to as the Lord of Moonspawn. So that's. So he's like in charge of everyone. Yeah. He's the leader of that race. He is so cool. Such a cool name. He is so cool. So cool. I mean, just like seven feet tall, just like decimating armies if he wants to. Yeah. Now Now his mission is like. I mean, he stood there by himself. He's like, yeah, no, I sent my army somewhere else. I figured I could handle this. Uh-huh. 
And Baruch is like, I know a bit about Tasha and I know he's powerful, but he's not nearly as powerful as you. And Rake is like, yeah, you're right. No, he isn't. Yeah, he's not close to as powerful as I am. Which I think is interesting because Tayshun thinks he's like really powerful. Mm-hmm. But and we end the scene with Anamander Rake. Baruch, the two wizards that escaped him in Pale are in Durudistan. Baruch knows where they are. And Anamander Rake is like, hey, if we want an alliance, I get to kill them. And Baruch says, Are you gonna use your giant sword that bleeds power on them yeah what else would i use i'll just bring you their heads myself yep. and we will learn more about that later i know so many cliffhangers because that's because i didn't realize it was gonna be such a long cliffhanger this whole derugistan after Hattertail. oh yeah this is a small taste of what's to come where we'll just jump around all the time I was like, ah, oh, just just want to know what happens, but I can't. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after that super cool scene with Anima and Rick, we go to Crocus and his friends playing cards, and Krupp is just blabbering on and on and on until Merleo and Crocus both quit. I don't know any thoughts about this scene. It's not. I wasn't I I don't really remember that scene too much. I think I kind of glossed over that one because it was just another Phoenix in bit. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that happened. I do love that uh Murillo quits and is like, I've got to be up early tomorrow, so I'm gonna go bathe and change. See ya. And Crocus quits too, and Crocus is like, ha, I remain undefeated. It's like I win. All yeah. right. Chapter seven, yeah, I, right? Yeah, I don't think I have anything else as well. Um, I do like Crocus's description of his friends, though. What a strange group. A drunkard, an obese mage of du- dubious abilities, a dandified fop, and a killer. It's like that's a that's a fun group of people that somehow mm-hmm. are all friends. I mean, it happens when you're at the inn playing cards. Right when you're, you start, when you're at the start of your D and D campaign, your group is all in a bar together. Exactly, sounds familiar. <laughs> That's the classic stereotypical D and D start. You know, it's the only way to do it in the tavern. Exactly. All right, we can move on to chapter seven if you're ready. I am ready. More or less. <laughs> okay, chapter seven. Krupp dreams again. He meets a figure by a fire who it turns out is Kroll, the Elder God. Blood has been spilled yeah. on ground once holy to him. He tells Krupp that every god falls at a mortal's hands. Such is the only end to immortality. Circle Breaker walks along, along the lakefront, thinking about his past and the crossroads in his life that led to this point. He learned the lesson to never reach too far on the deck of a flaming ship when he was part of the Freeman Privateers. He considers pleading the eel for help or resignation as or resignation from his work as their agent, but he tears up the scroll and heads back to his lonely and anonymous apartment. Simtal and Turban Orr talk in Simtal's bedroom. It's revealed that Lim's death broke the majority vote on a declaration of neutrality towards the Malazan Empire by one vote. 
Simtal asks Orr about her beloved dispossessed, and he tells her that he hasn't been sober since she tossed him out. It's also revealed that Orr would welcome Malaz in occupation of the city if it meant that he became a high fist or prominent leader. Marilio seduces a young woman into inviting him to Lady Simtal's party as part of his and Ralek's plan. It's revealed to be Lady Orr, wife of Turban Orr. Ralek strolls the streets outside, making it obvious that he's an assassin as directed by his clan leader, Ocelot. He spies Crocus and tells him to not even think of stealing from the Oars anytime soon. Crocus agrees and heads towards Worrytown. Along the way, he finds the coin in his pocket that saved his life. One side shows a male head, the other a female. Crocus arrives at a tavern and there asks Krupp for the things that he stole from the Darl estate. Krupp agrees and asks to see Crocus's coin. Crocus gives it to Krupp and Krupp pronounces it worthless. Crocus says that he'll keep it for good luck and they head back into the city. Ralek and Marilio meet at the haunted Hinter's Tower. Marilio shows the invitations to Ralek and they discuss Crocus. They plan to mention something to his uncle and get him on the right track. Baruch is painting a map red with the areas held by the Malazan Empire. A sharp crack sounds from the construction outside his window and he flinches, sending the paint cascading across the Rudistan. Krupp, who it turns out is an agent of Baruch, enters and tells Baruch of the coin. It turns out that he made an imprint of it when he asked Crocus to check for the merchant's wagon at the inn. It begins to spin and Opon's power is felt even with a wax mold of it. Opon's involvement makes Baruch fear for himself and his city. That's such a long chapter. It's, yeah, 30 pages. I think Malazan has infected me because 30 pages for a chapter doesn't seem long to me anymore. I mean, you did that summary and I was like, that all happened there? I don't yeah. remember some of that. It, it packs a lot in here. So I guess the length of what happens is longer than the page length. Yeah. Uh, but first we have Krupp in his dream again, and he sees a fire by the road and finds Kroll the... Kroll the Elder God. Yep. He seems a bit uh, beaten down kind of feeling. He hasn't had power in the world for thousands of years. Because no one believes in him. Is that the issue? or um, Like he's a dying religion in a sense? Or I don't know. Yeah, let's see here. They're all atheists. Oh, no one's an atheist in this world. The gods are very real. <laughs> yeah, but you got you got it right. It's because no one really like believes or worships Kroll anymore. Um, and he tells Krupp that every god falls in a mortal's hands. Such is the only end to immortality. So kind of what you had mentioned earlier with the immortal yet mortal gods. Yep. So such about like past couple books I've read of different series. You run into that, and I'm like, so should we be calling them a god? Like, they're a better definition for this? Um, we will learn more. <laughs> yeah. There's a, I don't know. It's an interesting, like, that he, like, pops up to this croup guy, Kroll. Mm-hmm. Like an elder god. Yep. I will uh, I will raffle that. And then we get Circle Breaker just walking along the lakefront thinking about his past. Poor guy. Yeah, he's uh he's he's not had an easy life. Sound of it no. I don't remember that scene too well. I like kind of breezed through it real quick while you're doing some of that summary and I was like, Oh yeah, this was a sad scene. 
I love his description of aging. Uh, the years between him and that young boy marched through his mind, a possession of martial images growing ever grimmer. If he searched out the many crossroads he had come to in the past, he saw their skies storm-warped, the lands ragged and wind-torn. The forces of age and experience worked on them now, and whatever choices he had made then seemed faded and almost desperate. I love the imagery of the series, so I'm going to point it out. When there's like awesome imagery and some philosophical... No, I know. That, that was thinking. actually really good. I like that scene as well. Because it's like... Because, I mean, I think it's true, like maybe a little more deep to realize, but like, it is like, I guess somewhat relevant. Like you live different lives. Mm-hmm. Like there's that separation. You're different people throughout different points, which that was kind of cool. And he's at that. Cause then it mentions, he's like, he's at that crossroads of like, do I just hang up the hat or Cape or assassins daggers or whatever they are. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And you hear another spinning coin. Yep, and he tears up the letter that he had written to the eel and just tosses it into the ocean or the lake. He's like, Sorry. never mind. Yep, and then he goes back to his gray and anonymous apartment, and it. He says, in that room, he remained anonymous even to himself. Oh, so sad. Kind of a sad thought, right? Like, who am I? Some serious depression. Depression, but he's also doing what he thinks is good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Need some Prozac there, buddy. Um, yeah, and then we get Simtal and Turbinor. Simtal's just sleeping around with everybody. Oh no, I'm like this lady. Come on. Yeah. Um. Because is she? Is she's dealing with the aftermath of the last guy dying, right? Yeah, because the bit. last guy dying on her roof on her balcony. Like married man in a woman's bedroom, naked when he died. Not the best look. <laughs> Simtal even thinks of uh Councilman Lim's wife. That damn bitch and not let grief get in the way of her greed. Barely two days shredded in black. And then she's on Murillo's arm. Yep. So kind of a cutthroat political a weird political landscape yeah and it's very complicated sounds like it what do you think of the fact that that guy dying just so happened to uh break the majority vote on a neutrality declaration i don't know i think the the twins of fate or god of fate or chance was really just rolling the dice on everything He's like, I actually just want to see this time everything play out. Let me find every single person I can and let's just like flip a coin. Let's see what happens. Let's play this out. Because it's like there, it feels like there's a bit of a stalemate with everything and now it's like everything's just starting to move a lot quicker and a lot more like there's a lot more uncertainty. Yeah. And so yeah, that's my thoughts. And it's revealed that Turban Orr just, he wants power. He doesn't care if it's under the Malazan Empire. If I know. If he gets to be a high fist, which is Dudek's rank, um, he'd be okay with that. It's fine turning everyone in. Yeah. Basically just a peaceful surrender, as long as he gets some power. Uh-huh. Sure. And every, everyone around him is like, did you see what happened to Pale? Like, 
It wasn't pretty, guy. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It'll be fine. I'll be high pissed. Sure you see you what know, happened but... to the nobles in Pale? They killed them all. Oh, that's not going to happen here. They didn't surrender. We will surrender. Yeah. And from there, speaking of Councilman Lim's wife being on the arm of Aurelio, Aurelio's just kind of a seducer. And we see him on a balcony with Lady Orr trying to get invited to Lady Simtol's party. Oh, yeah. Because it's the whole political thing this time. Yeah, it's part of his and Relic's plan, which we haven't learned too much more about yet. Nope. A plot within um, a plot within a plot. Yes. <laughs> and Relic sees Crocus kind of like looking at the Aura state like, eh, I bet I can break in there. And Relic goes up to Crocus, don't you even effing think about it. Not a good idea. And Crocus's immediate assumption is Ralph got hired to kill someone in there, didn't he? Uh, yeah. He's like, all right, I won't go by there tonight. Another night. And Crocus heads to the inn to meet Krupp. And on the way, he finds the coin that saved his life. It's in his pocket. Um, he asks, or Krupp sees the coin, asks Crocus about it, declares it worthless. He's like, the stamping's all weird. Yeah, the metals are cheap. Whoever made this deserves to die, and I bet they did. You know, I thought that was funny. Let's see. Ralic and Murillo meet to show the to confirm that they have the invitations. And I love that like the adulterous seducing guy and the assassin are like, let's get our friend on the right track and stop him from thieving. I know. Maybe we we should be doing that. Let's say something to his uncle. Let's let's force him onto the right track. We're not we're not on the moral high ground ourselves, but you know, just gotta look out for their friend. They're too blind to see what's really going on. Oh, I think I I think they know exactly who they are. Yeah, that's true. I don't have I mean, too much more to say. Uh, we end with Baruch's kind of painting a map red where the Malazans have taken over. And he like hears a loud noise and jerks and the paint just spreads over Jerudistan and he kind of takes it as an omen. And then who should walk in but Krupp? Yeah, Krupp made an imprint in wax of the coin that Crocus showed him. Um, and Brooke becomes very concerned that Opon is involved because it makes it really hard to make plans when chance and fate are in flux. I think it's interesting that like Opon is just like messing with everything so far and everyone's like oh, back to the drawing board, back to the uh-huh. drawing board. So I'm curious to see how this keeps playing out because like at a certain point it's like they have to stop Opon or it just becomes too much of a game of luck. Yeah, we will see. Um, let's see, what's the name of the next? Oh, a wonderfully detailed title of the next book, The Mission. The Mission. That tells you everything you need to know about the next chapters, right? I'm guessing we go back to the army. I will neither I will neither confirm nor deny. It's the mission to get into the city. Could be actually. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's the end of our reading. If you have any more questions or comments or thoughts, feel free. 
Not too many. I just, like I said, this one, it finally got me. I was like, wow, I am, I am lost. There's so much going on. <laughs> you seem to have a really good grasp as we went through. Yeah. Um, well, I think your the summaries helped a bit. Cause I was like, if I were just to go off what I read, I was like, I don't remember. Cause chapter seven, there's so many small scenes that you're like, Oh yeah. I remember those. But funny, funny enough. I think as I think the, more small sections there are in the summaries the shorter they'll get because it'll just become too much to summarize every everything that happens so maybe we just need to take better notes and then we can i know i actually put make notes i realized that things that we want it's like for the future episodes i need to come prepared with a few more thoughts so i put sticky notes in the back of my book like little oh there you go a little thing so i can just jot down anything because i was like i need to remember more because I did that the first like couple chapters and that helped. But yeah, I know. Because I mean, granted, this is where it got like it threw in. What was it Croup and his multifaceted world of dreams? Yeah. And then you got uh, some bunch of assassins, thieves. You got the government. You got a wizard with or an alchemist with the Lord of Moon and like his his bird it's just so many yeah. things that i was like this was that was a lot to follow but yeah so you spend four chapters with these other characters the malazans yep. you get to know them a tiny bit and then you jump to a whole new cast of characters and within three chapters you're introduced to the complicated assassins guild the complicated politics of the city how it all relates to the malazan empire crocus and his group of friends krupp's dream world a six a seven foot guy with a giant sword an alchemist that secretly runs the city an elder god another secret assassin's guild yeah you get a lot because then they talk about like is there an assassin's war going on i remember that bit yeah that's what crocus assumes because who else would kill an assassin in the city besides and assassin's wars have happened before in durajistan so that's because they're like all led by one leader, and I think they mentioned her, Vorken. Yeah. She's like the leader of all of them, but there's different clans, and they've had disputes in the past. Which I think is so weird. It's like, you all work for the same lady. Why do you gotta... I don't know. I guess when you're assassins. I'm not an assassin, so I don't know what goes on in their <laughs> minds. You haven't been an assassin on the rooftops of a medieval... Well, not medieval city, but... No, I mean, I hate to break it to you, but I don't... I haven't done that. It's not it's not my life's resume yet. <laughs> never will be. Yeah, you've never been running across the rooftops in the dead of night in a city that's lit by blue fire from gas vents down below the city. That's pretty cool though. The blue fire, I thought that was fun. I was like, man, that's a cool city. Yeah, just the side of it in my brain, the side of it across the lake just like glowing blue from all the fire is so cool. You know, I just keep imagining it though, like as just such an overcast world of like maybe just smoke as well. Like there's not a lot of sun. Maybe that's just me, but yeah, I, I feel, but I mean, a lot of it has been at night so far. So a lot of it has been, but then you get some scenes in the daylight, like yeah, Marilio on the balcony and Crocus and Relic talking in the streets. That was all during the day. Yeah. So. Cause he, he pulled them aside and he's like, Hey, mm-hmm. don't do this. Yeah, so we will be back next week with the mission. We'll learn more about some of these things. 
Maybe you'll be more confused. We will see. We'll see. I'll, we'll take better notes, so we'll have some better conversations, but it was good. Yeah, so with that, um, Podcast of the Fallen out. <laughs>